Welcome to Hello from the Pluriverse, a podcast about sharing the stories of designers and design thinkers from different backgrounds around the world. I'm Leslie-Anne Noel, a designer from Trinidad and Tobago and a professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans. The name of our podcast is a reference to Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. In our podcast, we explore the stories of designers from many different countries, women designers, designers of color, and designers from the LGBTQI community. In our interviews, we explore how place and identity affect their work, what they say about design, design thinking, and social innovation, and what advice they would give to non-designers who are using design methods. We'll continue to share more stories throughout the series about designers from many different worlds, from our little corner of the world, at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University in New Orleans. Welcome to the Hello from the Pluriverse podcast, sponsored by the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University, where we discuss the work of different designers and design thinking practices. My name is Natalie Hudnick. I'm in my second year in the Master of Public Health and Maternal and Child Health program here at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. And I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center. I'm originally from outside St. Louis, Missouri, and I have a bachelor's degree in cultural anthropology. Today, I'm here with my co-host, Tawani. Tawani, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Tiwani Osaini, and I'm a first-year student at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, focusing on health communications and maternal and child health. Originally from Los Angeles, California, I obtained my Bachelor's of Science in Healthcare Administration. I'm currently a graduate administrative assistant at the Taylor Center. Dr. Leslie Ann Noel has explored design opportunities all over the world, taking risks to find spaces and opportunities that she's passionate about and making opportunities work for her. While she was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, Dr. Noel has had opportunities to explore design around the world. She received training in industrial design in Brazil, was an adjunct and eventually full-time faculty member at the University of the West Indies in Trinidad. She has also taught at Stanford University and North Carolina University. She has a master's of business administration from the University of the West Indies, and she has a PhD in design from North Carolina State University. At the time of this interview in fall of 2019, Dr. Noel was a professor of practice and the associate director of design thinking for social impact at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking. So this interview was originally recorded in the fall of 2019. Tawani and I are here to hear today to hear what Dr. Noel has to say about her approach to design thinking. After the recording, we'll be here to discuss our thoughts and what we learned and hopefully spark some discussion for our listeners. So let's take a listen. So that story, it's a little bit arbitrary. Um, I did, so we, we, we specialize in school from like about, um, maybe about eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so I chose to do art and design as one of my specials in eighth mm -hmm. grade. And so from eighth grade till the end of high school, I'm not sure if that's 12th or 13th grade in the system, but in, in our system, it's called form six, upper six lower six and upper six. Those are the last forms, the last uh -huh. grades of school. I did art and design all along those years. And so by the time I reached the last year of school, I started to apply to a lot of universities around the world. Um, I was looking for places to do, I don't know. How, yeah, design was just what I was always interested in. So I've been in this since about eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And when I was applying to university, there was, uh, um, 
I had applied to, or I had gotten prospectuses. That's, that's a magazine that, that actually doesn't even exist anymore. That um, when you wanted to apply to a university, you wrote to the university and they sent you back this magazine. And there was mm -hmm. one university that there was just this picture of a little glass vase mm -hmm. in their list of courses. And there was this course called industrial design. And there was that picture of the glass vase. And I just thought it was like the most beautiful object in the world. And that got me interested wow. in industrial design. But I didn't actually apply to any industrial design programs at that stage. I applied to graphic design programs. Mm -hmm. And then it was when I went to Brazil, I started studying in a graphic design program. But I, I'm sorry, it's really convoluted. I transferred to another university. And when I transferred to the other university and they were registering me, they asked me, okay, so which program are you in? Are you in graphic design or industrial design? Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, okay, I can switch. And they said, yeah, yeah, you decide which program you're in. And so, yeah, I, that's how I ended up in industrial design in a kind of accidental way. It was just in somebody's office where they said, okay, graphic or industrial? And I said, oh, well, industrial. That's, yeah, so that's how I started. And then how I moved to design thinking is that I always worked people who were, um, who weren't always so comfortable in design. Like maybe I was always teaching people who didn't consider themselves designers. Mm -hmm. And so I was always coaching them in the design process. So the, um, the switch then to something like design thinking where you are normally working with people who are non-designers just seemed like a very logical switch because I'm accustomed to coaching people who think of themselves as non-designers through a, a design process and making them feel a lot more comfortable with design mm. um, and, and design thinking involves a little bit of that, you know, taking people out of their comfort zone and then coaching them through a, a problem solving process. So mm. that's, I suppose, how I ended up in design thinking. Well, design thinking is a way of problem solving, but design is a way of problem solving. So when I do design thinking work, I'm just using the same processes that I used in design before, mm -hmm. but I'm just working with a different type of, um, of people. So, I'm not, so design thinking tends to be a little bit more multidisciplinary. So, um, so in the design thinking work, I'm working with much more multidisciplinary teams and maybe we're working on like social problems. We're working on slightly different problems. Whereas in design, we were maybe focusing on more objects and more specific outcomes. In design thinking, the range of solutions is a little bit broader. Um, not, I didn't study design in Trinidad at all. I started uh -huh. design school um, in one town in Brazil, in Salvador, uh -huh. Bahia, and mm -hmm. where I did graphic design. And then I transferred to another town and another university in Brazil, in South Brazil. And mm -hmm. that's where I got the opportunity to do product design or industry. Ah, okay. And so I spent a year in Salvador. And actually, I spent five years in Curitiba in, in South Brazil because um, industrial design then was a five-year program. There was no design program in Trinidad at that time, or at least there was no degree level design program. I think that there was graphic design available, but maybe at like an associate degree level. Mm -hmm. And um, so because there was no degree level design program, 
um, undergraduate degree level design program at that time, I just started looking for all of these options. And um, my parents said something like, okay, you could study anywhere in the world as long as, as it's for free, which is good advice to give a child, right? Um, so I actually started looking for um, scholarship opportunities any and everywhere. Uh, I really applied to, I think I applied to an opportunity in Nigeria, in oh. Germany. Um, in the States, I applied to about four different universities, um, but the fees are really, uh, I, I was just unable to, my parents were unable to pay those fees at the time. And I got lucky, I suppose, with this opportunity in Brazil that I was able then to study for free in Brazil for five years, actually for six years, I suppose you could say, because I did, mm. yeah, one year free and then the five-year program. And the five-year for the industrial design. Wow, that's, that's really impressive. So what, so now during the time that you were doing industrial design, you said that the moment that you saw the vase was when you knew you wanted to be uh, in industrial design. And this was after the first year of architectural design? No, I never did architectural design. I, <laughs> you keep uh, bringing architectural design sorry. in. <laughs> Okay, let so, me let me start back, right? What was the so, first year? I'm sorry, I'm I'm wasting I'm wasting I'm sorry but but and I'm, I'm again uh, yeah, I'm sorry. So you oh. you did not do architectural design. No, not at all. I'm not an architect. Yeah. Uh -huh. I um so when I was in high school, uh -huh. you did that's the, when I started to get those magazines from the different universities. Ah, uh, okay. And then in one of those university, um, university magazines, we used to call those magazines prospectus, prospecti, maybe prospectuses. And then in one of those, I saw this little image that represented industrial design. Mm -hmm. So I was always interested in industrial design, but I didn't think I could do it because I didn't think, well, there's still no work for industrial designers, but I didn't think that there was any work for industrial designers. And so I couldn't, do this program that I wouldn't have been able to get a job in. And mm -hmm. it was, so that's how I ended up in graphic design because there, there graphic are function. graphic designers can always make work for themselves. Mm. And so I started off in graphic design. And then it was when I transferred to the second university in Brazil, where they asked me which program I wanted to do. And ah, that ah, okay. Decided, well, you know what? Yes. Let me just do the program that I want to do and I'll worry about a job later on. Um, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll still end up being a graphic designer, but at least I would have done the degree that I really wanted to do first. So that's. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So this was like the inciting moment for you that you knew that you wanted industrial yeah. design. But when yeah, was I the moment? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But when, when, when was the moment that you knew you wanted to be a design thinker? Oh. Yeah. So we know now about the moment that you wanted to be in industrial design, that you knew your passion. But like you said, you couldn't uh, get into industrial design, not because you didn't want to, but because you, you, you thought you might not have a job. So you went to yeah. graphic design. I'm sorry, I said architecture because for some reason you say graphic. <laughs> I say architecture, it's graphic. Yeah, but, it's uh, graphic. Yeah. yeah, but so, so then you had the opportunity. But what about graphic design? Uh, sorry, um, design, uh, design thinking. thinking. Yeah. So, if you are a designer, um, well, I, let me not generalize like that. Okay. I don't 
really think of design thinking as something different to what I did before. Mm. That's not what I mean. So like, I can't tell you the point that I became a design thinker because the point that I became a design thinker is when I finished design school or when I, you know, it's not in 2015 that I became a design thinker. I graduated in 1998 and mm -hmm. that's when I became a design thinker. You understand? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's that the, the word design thinking became very popular in the mid, uh, like around maybe 2006. So, you know, in, in that first decade of the 2000s is when everyone really started using that word design thinking. Mm -hmm. But if you have um, many years of experience as a designer and, um, you know, or several years of design education, you can be a designer without design education, but all of that experience I'm going to say makes you a design thinker without mm -hmm. you having to go and formally learn this design thinking stuff because design thinking is about the way that designers think. <laughs> I, I got a job at the university in Trinidad pretty soon. Um, there is an interesting quote that I got, um, you know, one of my professors when I was at school, he, he, he said something that, that, can sound like a little bit brutal. He told us that if we were looking for jobs, design was not the place for us because in design, we had to learn to make ourselves relevant and mm -hmm. we would make our work rather than us um, having to look for a job, you know, um, so that we might never find employment as designers, but we would learn to make work for ourselves. So mm. when I went back to Trinidad, I really did adopt that kind of mindset where I was not looking for a job. So actually I said I got a job at the university. That's not really true. I, I became an adjunct faculty member at the university as soon as I, I went back to Trinidad. But I actually spent the first 10 years after graduating um, really just doing a lot of consulting work in a lot of different areas. Um, sometimes it was really design focused and sometimes they were more like business management or education type of focus. But I spent most of those 10 years learning how to make work for myself. So um, mm -hmm. I did, like I said, I did a lot of consulting work around design where I did design work for other people a lot of training work that was sometimes design related. Sometimes mm -hmm. it was about other aspects of running your own business. Um, but I got pretty skillful at um, making myself relevant mm -hmm. to people and their organizations, you know? So like I had one strategy I used when I went back to Trinidad is that I started just doing these, what I call introductory interviews with, with companies where, um, I would call, maybe like cold call mm -hmm. um, somebody within a company and say, well, I just want to come and understand how your business operates. And then ah. I would go myself to them. I'd take my portfolio. We'd have all of these conversations. A lot of those interviews did not result directly in anything. It was really more just about me expanding my network. But some of them did, you know, um, thinking what actually resulted in work i'm not sure the two that i remember right now is i remember 
cold calling an architect and then going to meet him, show him my portfolio. I used to be a furniture designer, so I showed him my portfolio and um, we still have maybe a little bit of a professional relationship today or, or maybe it's more of a social relationship, but you know, that came out of that cold call, which was 20 years ago. And there mm-hmm. was also a furniture um, factory in Trinidad that I did the same thing where I just, I went and I introduced myself and, you know, uh, so I did a lot of that early on and just, I suppose, acquired that skill of being able to convince people that they needed design services. Mm. Um, and I very often didn't market it as a specific design service. It was me trying to figure out which design service would serve the people that I was working with. So that meant sometimes I might have been doing graphic design work. Um, I actually was not the best graphic designer. I'm still not the best, but I mean, now at least I, <laughs> okay. I, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But um, I also had, I built professional relationships around me. So like had colleagues who did better graphic design work than me. Mm. Um, so sometimes I would, um, let's say I would direct, I'd be like a creative director on a project and I'm directing my friends on what the work needed to look like. Um, what else did I do? Sometimes I did things like set design. Mm-hmm. Um, if people needed a stage, I would design it. Uh, oh, I, wow. I think I've designed carnival costumes. Um, I've designed like, I want to say I've designed everything, but that's not true because like, I haven't done a lot of digital, digital design, but you know, in the more traditional design disciplines like graphic design, maybe set design, product design, I've I've really designed a wide range of things Mm -hmm. and a wide enough range for me to think whether or not I'm accurate, but a wide enough range of things for me to think that I can morph between many different types of design because I do understand how graphic design works. I understand fabrication. I understand, um, yeah. So because of the range of products or types of design that I've been, I, um, it, it maybe, maybe I'm a, I've been a little bit overconfident, but I've always been using a way of approaching problems in many different types of um, areas. I only got my first like long-term job, um, 2008 so that is 10 years after I graduated that I really got um, this job I mean not it's not the only job that I had within the 10 years but it is the job that became a pretty long-term one you know um, I yeah when I went back to Trinidad I just thought I owned the world I don't even know why I felt I did but I just yeah I took a lot of risks and so like and actually a lot of the training or teaching that I, I try to give people, I'm often trying to get them to, to take some risks, mm-hmm. um, to not think that they just have to, um, they have to end up in a job that they hate or, or something like that. In between the 10 years, I didn't work in Trinidad all of the 10 years. Oh, okay. I was just about making these opportunities for myself and not all of these opportunities were in Trinidad. So I actually, so I went back to Trinidad in 98. In 2003, I went to um, Tanzania for three months. 
Oh. And then I went to Mozambique for two months in 2004. I went to Uganda for six months in 2005. Ah. Um, I was in Kenya on a very long project, but I only had to live, the longest I had to live in Kenya during the project was six weeks in 2007. So, you know, I was, I was based in Trinidad, but I really looked for opportunities anywhere, 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 anywhere. In between, I, I also did work in the Eastern Caribbean. So the Eastern Caribbean has a, um, a central government um, called the OECS. Uh, mm -hmm. Trinidad is not part of the OECS, but I did a, a lot of work for the OECS in the Caribbean and also for another agency called Caribbean Export. Um, so export development. Export development was really the area that I, um, I guess I was known for in, in those 2000s, those early years, in the 2000s. Um, so I did work for, the, for Caribbean Export. I also did trade, maybe trade development work where like companies in the Caribbean that wanted to do business in, in Brazil, I would try oh. to facilitate conversations for them. So I just knew how to make the world <laughs> turn around. You know, it was always about how could I get people to be interested in the skills that I had um, a lot of these skills were design skills, um, but some of them weren't quite design skills, but maybe were still skills I had acquired through my design experience. You know, um, I am really good at making conversations happen. Yeah. So like the trade negotiation or trade facilitation stuff was that. It wasn't quite design. It, actually, it wasn't design related. But some of the conversations that I was making happen were design-related conversations. So like maybe a furniture manufacturer in Trinidad, I was trying to help them do business with a furniture manufacturer in, in Brazil. So yeah, um, so yeah, I, did, I was based in Trinidad, but I did a, a lot of work. Every year I lived in a, another country between 2003 and 2007, maybe. I'm, I'm very, very people-focused very relationship focused. So um, yeah, so I've lived in different countries and I travel a lot. Um, and when I travel and I meet people, the relationships generally are very solid relationships that don't just disappear after I've traveled. Uh, so like around 2014, I started to go to a lot of design conferences. And so at those conferences, I make connections with a lot of people. And that's maybe mm. how the network has really expanded you know some of it is from design school in brazil i'm still in contact with a lot of designers from there um some of it is a lot of it is from the conferences that i've been to later on and then but now in the states i've lived in in several cities so like in each city um yeah i just pick up people i'm like the pied pipe and i'm <laughs> Well, that's good. Okay, so in 2007, I got pregnant. Ah! <laughs> Yay. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to pay for college for somebody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think that that just changed everything. My whole hippie lifestyle changed because I really was like this very transient, nomadic kind of person up until 2007. 
And then when I was panicking and I'm trying to think, well, how am I going to support this little life <laughs> that is going to come? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, it wasn't when I was, so while I was pregnant and then after he was born, I really was worrying about my future, which I had ah. never worried about mm. 10 years before. But um, the year after he was born, my, I got a full-time job. And it's like, that's when I was like, okay, you know what? You need this security. Let's stay in this job for a little while. So that's when I became um, full-time faculty at the university where I was teaching. You know, before I was an ad adjunct. And so some semesters I'd give class, some semesters I didn't. Um, it was being an adjunct supported the type of lifestyle that I wanted to have where I was always mm. traveling. Mm. And then when I really worried about, now I had to worry about things like really worry about healthcare, um, uh -huh. worry about savings, worry about pension, you know? And so really the opportunity to teach full-time at the university came up um, just at that time when I really was worried about life. <laughs> Yes. And I grabbed it. You know, I actually forgot to mention, you know, even in, in that first decade of the 2000s, I also had a business in Trinidad. Mm. And, um, so like the business also was part of my hippie lifestyle. You know, I would travel to support the business because we also did some import exports. So, you know, I'd be traveling on a consultancy and then designing products with people in some place like um, Uganda. So I'd be doing the consultancy work, then I'd do some design work, and then I'd buy products from the people I was designing um, for, and then sell them in my store. Mm. And um, really, by the time my son was born, I, um, I became scared. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started to realize, oh, that's why people want all of this security. And mm. yeah, so that's what happened. You became a full-time uh, faculty in, in Trinidad, where you were yes. uh, teaching as an adjunct. And then when did you decide like to do the master's degree and the PhD? So um, when I was teaching in Trinidad, I entered my job with maybe the, the lowest acceptable qualifications. Mm -hmm. So I had my degree in design. Um, I had postgrad diplomas but I didn't have a master's and I didn't have a PhD. And during the interview, I, the principal had made it, the, the principal of the university, who's like the president here, right? So the principal asked me more than once, okay, when are you gonna do your PhD? So, you know, they made it clear from the interview that um, yes, they were considering me for the job, but they did expect that I would go on and get a PhD. So mm -hmm. I did my master's, um, after I got that job, you know, it was one of those things, okay, now I have this job, but let me keep this job. And so I did my uh, master's then, um, but my master's is actually in business. It's in business administration, which uh, is not an unusual move for um, like a lot of designers because we all manage our own businesses. Uh, so I know other designers with the same kind of com combination where they have maybe graphic or industrial design or something like that. And then they have a master's in business administration um, so that we could understand a lot of the other sides of business. So I did that and I think I got some kind of warning or some kind of signal from the university again 
that the master's was not enough that I needed to get a PhD. And so in, in 2015, I actually went on leave uh, to go and do a PhD and um, have not yet returned. I hope to return, but I have not yet returned. Okay. <laughs> this is when you went to Stanford. No, no, I, I did my PhD at um, NC State, North, North Carolina State University. Oh, yes. wow, nice. I went to Stanford for a year. I did a teaching fellowship at Stanford, and now I'm at awesome. Tulane University. Um, so I'm from Trinidad. I am um, from an Afro-Trinidadian family, which means of, my family's black, right, from Trinidad. And we are... Um, I guess we're like a middle-class Trinidadian family. My parents went to university. Um, we value education and um, yeah. And we have a strong identity racially. You know, um, my, I, I don't know if you know about the Black Power Movement that was like in the, I don't know. Oh, actually, no, that's, that's the name of it in Trinidad. Um, so like in the late 60s in America, uh, that, there was a civil rights movement. And, oh, yeah. Um, I know about that. Right. And so the Black Power movement is like connected to that. But um, in 1970 in Trinidad, um, that's like, that's the height of the period of black power, meaning that we wanted to, um, Trinidad was a colony and it was where we were trying to shift and make society in Trinidad much fairer, more equitable and, um, you know, kind of upturn colonial mm. power structures. Mm -mm. Like my sister was born in, in that peak. My parents got married just around that time. I was born just a little bit after that. So uh -huh. it, it means that I grew up with really, really, really clear, um, clear images of myself <laughs> and my power. And, you know, I, I never grew uh -huh. up. In, um, I was never a minority. Well, until now. <laughs> <As Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really a different type of life that you have when you think that everything is possible, which I grew up thinking that everything was possible and that there was no injustice. There was never going to be anything that would keep me back. Certainly not the color of my skin or the texture of my hair or, you know, anything like that. Mm. Um, I never felt that there would be any, any kinds of barriers to prevent me from being a successful black woman um, in anywhere in the world, you know, not even to say in Trinidad, I thought I could do it anywhere. And I think when I went to Brazil, then I probably went to Brazil with that self-confidence mm -hmm. um, that made me do very well socially in Brazil. Mm -hmm. You know, I had tons of friends and um so in, in brazil i had so you always have a little bit of privilege right mm. um so in trinidad my privilege would have been that i'm from this middle class background with very educated parents mm. that would have given me access to things that maybe some other friends of mine did not have might not have had mm. um i can't even say that they did or did not have um 
but yes, that would have given me maybe some more access. And then in Brazil, I spoke English and then that then became a different level of privilege. So even though I was still a black woman in Brazil and Brazil is a, a place with a lot of, um, it's a different kind of racism or it's a different kind of ten racial tension to mm -hmm. America. But um, my language privilege erode mm. my lack of privilege because of skin color. You know, so it's mm. like from the time I opened my mouth in Brazil, people would treat me differently because, okay, I was that gringa. Gringa is like, uh, so I was that American <laughs> woman. <laughs> um, gringa. I, I never was trying to portray myself as that American woman. But, you know, I'd... Um, and, and it may not have been a re, like a conscious thing on on the part of the people that I knew, but I, I think I was aware in Brazil of the privilege that my language um, gave me at that mm. time, right? Um, and then in Trinidad, I guess I went back now to Trinidad with this other privilege of having lived somewhere else and having gone to school outside. Um, and all of that, I suppose, is why I just thought that everything was possible. And that did affect the way that I practiced as a designer um, or the way that I practiced in general. And then the other thing um, that has affected, which I refer to at the start of this conversation, then being brought up at that time where you're getting all those messages of black is beautiful and how important black people are. And um, I think that that has always made me feel confident enough to do work that is centered around people of color or centered around identity. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not, it's not that my work is only about black people, you know, it's that I believe that people um, people's life experiences and their identities are really important. So I, I definitely think that these things have impacted my work. And um, even when I was teaching in Trinidad, a lot of my projects would bring in um, students' identities or their Trinidadianness, mm. or you know, like maybe even Trinidad folklore. And some I, I didn't even realize until. Recently, I had to put together a portfolio of student work, and I went back into my archives to maybe as far back as like 2006, and I was looking at photographs from students' work from all of those years, mm. and I could clearly see how the work always showed that it was rooted in Trin Trinidad, you know, mm. you know, something with maybe the way I was asking the question, you know, um, the students were able to make the work about their lives in Trinidad. So I really do, my identity has played a big role in the way that I live my life. And then I try to create spaces where other people can um, bring their whole identities to the work that we're doing. You know, I'm very, very, very interested in diversity and, and people's different stories and often try to connect with people around their different stories. You know, I look for parts of their stories that I recognize from different places that I've lived in to make mm -hmm. that kind of connections. So I, I embrace design thinking. I, I think it is a, 
challenging and a little bit of a polemic piece sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I understand the uh, hesitation or the reticence that a lot of designers have around design thinking because like I've been in those spaces, you know, like I was in a space uh, maybe close to a year ago where, what was the person telling me? This was someone who would clearly identify themselves as someone in design thinking and not in design. And there were several points where she was just so obnoxious to me as a designer, you know, like first she says, well, okay, I really don't think product design has anything to, to is, is relevant to design thinking today or something like that. And um, I, I think that some of, maybe you'll have to edit that stuff out. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. back and think. I, so I consider myself a designer and I consider myself somebody who is teaching or guiding other people to think like designers, okay? I'm not so comfortable with a lot of the design thinking theory. Um, You know, like some people will talk about, okay, this is the way you do design thinking. And, you know, I'm really not that comfortable with a lot of the theory because I do think that some of the theory alienates designers. And then I think some of the theory seems to suggest that there's one way to do design thinking. Mm. And that's not something that I agree with. You know, I think that there are many different skills that designers use that are useful in other fields um, and that are evidence of design thinking. And I think that we are probably going to borrow different skills according to the types of problems that we are um, we are dealing with, you know, that we're trying to solve. But you know, that sometimes I think, and maybe it's not everybody in design thinking, but I do think that there are some people who do try to look for textbook definitions or want to go back mm. and say, well, okay this is the process and, and first you do this step and then that step and then that step. And, and if you're not doing things in that step-by-step way, then it's not design thinking. And, and that, um, I'm just as wary of that as many other designers in the field, okay? I do think that designers and people who think like designers or who are borrowing these skills, I think that they add a lot of value to collaborative problem solving. And so that's a part of the design thinking that I really embrace. Um, mm. I really enjoy working in across disciplines. Mm-hmm. And so I like the multidisciplinary nature of design thinking. So whereas people might have felt inhibited to enter design process when we were the most specific areas of design, like a non-designer wouldn't feel comfortable enough to get into graphic design or, you know, I think that design thinking becomes a really broader space that people from many different disciplines um, can feel comfortable to participate. Mm. And, and that's what I like about design thinking, you know, that we've created a space where um, many people can contribute to the, the way a problem is solved. Okay. I do think though that design thinking, so the design thinking work that we do 
like mm-hmm. the design sprints or you know bringing together these multidisciplinary teams to come and come up with solutions that's only part of it and then i think that people have to recognize that very often to finish that work it has to go back to a designer or an engineer or a, you, you know the design thinking work very often leads to concepts mm-hmm. And these concepts have to be finished. And you have to think about who's going to be the team that leads the concept actually through to completion. And very often that team is going to be led by designers or people with design mm. type backgrounds. So it might be the engineers, the coders, the, you know, so it's not that design thinking work is the end of it. There is more work after people have done that, have, have come have up with. Have done this print. Yes, yes. Ah, yeah. yeah. So what you do is you use design thinking tools, um, mm-hmm. but you, you don't limit yourself and you have to do this in a specific way. You do it because you're trying to get, you know, a product and a project to finish, right? Yeah. Uh, in a creative way. Okay. I don't use design thinking tools. I use design tools. Design tools, yes. Because remember design is the, you could think of it as design is the meta discipline. Yes. And it's those tools that I'm using, but I'm using it in multidisciplinary teams. Mm. Um, so I'm using it with teams that maybe everyone wouldn't call themselves a designer. Mm-hmm. And then I'm getting a, them, everybody within the team to move through a process. Um, but the outcome that the team comes up with is really not the final outcome. You know, if we wanted to turn what, com- what we come up with in the team you know, that collaboration, if we want to turn it into something real, it's really not the final outcome. And then very often a more specific design team needs to take that and carry it forward. Mm. So the advice that I would give to non-designers is that the process is murky, right? I don't know if you know that word murky. It's like the process is a lot foggier than they think it is you know like so if you're coming from another discipline you may be more accustomed to um, very explicit ways of working and that's not really the way that we work as designers and so I would really encourage non-designers to um, be experimental in the work that they're doing to understand that um they have to learn to take some risks, you know, and, you know, some creative risks. So it's not like you're going to jump off a building or anything like that. (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) when I, when I, it's risk like in, in, in how you uh, imagine solutions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I teach non-design students or students who don't think that they have a, a creative background, they spend most of the semester trying to ask me how to get things right, mm-hmm. um, which can be very frustrating for me. And when I teach people from a uh, creative background, you know, like I, I, I taught art students and design students for a very long time. And those students were always trying to challenge me visually. Right, so they're not actually trying to get the A. Well, they're trying to get the A, but they're trying to get the A in a different way. Because they've already, um, in, when I used to teach those classes, by the time I got them, they already knew that the A K 
came from being really innovative and um, really going above and beyond the teacher's expectations, right? Whereas in a lot of other disciplines, maybe people have a rubric, not maybe, yes, people have a rubric and they know that they'll get the A if they've included this, 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 that. And so I think it's really important that for non-designers to understand that you're not gonna produce great design work unless you're taking those kinds of risks. Mm. Um, and uh, very often the creative work comes from many, many, many iterations, which is sometimes another thing that I have um, a challenge getting people to understand that mm. we don't do one and get it right. You know, in, our, in the way we work as designers, we do things over and over and over and over again, and we get feedback from people. And sometimes our problem is that we don't know when to stop. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that's a skill that I think non-designers using design thinking techniques have to understand. The, the openness, that the, they need that openness to, to understand that the process is changing all the time they have to take some creative risks they have to do things kind of over and over again and and all of those things are tied to that flexibility and openness so that i think is the skill that's most important you know some people describe it as um navigating ambiguity that's that's a term that, that i use a lot over the last year but i think flexibility openness collaboration you know those are the skills that non-designers need to bring to the design thinking process to do it well thank you all so much for listening along with us and now we're just going to talk a little bit about our takeaways from the interview so tawani how do you think place and identity impacted dr noel's work um so like dr noel stated uh, growing up in trinidad she was really surrounded by people that looked just like her um, and because of that, Dr. Noel never had thoughts of limiting herself due to her identity. Um, she always felt like everything she dreamed of was possible and was able to carry over this mindset and confidence in design thinking. And as she realized that many people did not have that same luxury, Dr. Noel adapted to instilling this mindset to students and encouraging them to use pieces of their identity to inspire their design thinking process. Um, what about yourself? Yeah, um, yeah, her identity has played such an influential role in her life, her design work, and her teaching, like you talked about. She grew up in an environment where her worth was known and celebrated, and where she never had to feel like there were any barriers that could prevent her from being a successful Black woman. And this confidence that has been instilled in her has carried her through life into her design work and into her classroom. Dr. Noel knows the impact her identity has had on her, so she works to make sure her classroom, no matter if it's a workshop or full of undergraduate students, is an inclusive environment where people can feel comfortable and safe to bring all of their identities with them to work. Yeah, exactly. I, I picked up on that as well. Um, so what did you learn from that about design, design thinking, and social innovation? Yeah, Dr. Noel consistently talked about how design thinking is multidisciplinary. And I think that is such a great thing to emphasize. I really enjoyed learning this or maybe having it be emphasized more so in this interview. Multidisciplinary work is so critical and crucial to impact problem solving, especially if it's about solving social problems. It can be just designers or can't, it can't just be designers and it can't just be engineers or government officials, etc. It's about everyone coming together, including community members, to use design thinking in its processes to create solutions. Uh, what about you? What did you learn? 
Um, I feel like Dr. Noel made it very clear that the textbook definition of divine thinking is not, you know, the only sole definition of divine thinking. Um, I feel like through this interview, um, she really solidified the fact that there is no one way to divine thinking. And that, like you said, designers use various unique transferable skills that they borrow from different industries in order to solve issues. So I think um, it's very important to use your own identity to tailor design thinking. Um, and I feel like that's one of the most important mindsets to problem solving. So, uh, so as two designers who are not formal, as two students who are not formal designers, what advice did you take away from this episode for non-designers who are using design methods? Yeah, one big piece of advice I took away from this episode was how we have to be able to navigate ambiguity. Dr. Noel talked about this in terms of having to be flexible and open when doing design work because you're never really given an explicit way to do things. And I think in some ways, this is just a reminder that there isn't always a direct blueprint that can guide you the way you think you need to be guided to complete projects. You kind of have to figure it out on your own sometimes. Uh, what did you, what advice did you take away? Um, I feel like I learned that not being a formal design designer, design thinker, shouldn't limit me from the work of design thinking. Um, like we said earlier, design thinking allows individuals to use transferable skills and especially their identity to tailor the process of design thinking. And because of this, multidisciplinary skills are very much needed. And you know, you're able to use these skills to problem solve and contribute to the work of design thinking. Oh yeah, that, that's definitely great advice. Um, was there anything that Dr. Noel said that surprised you that you didn't agree with or that inspired you? Um, I was very inspired by Dr. Noel's work around the world. Um, although design thinking is universal, many practices can definitely look different depending on where you are. So Dr. Noel's ability to culturally tailor the design thinking process is incredible. And I can see that's allowed her to connect with various types of individuals specializing in different forms of design thinking. What about you? Yeah, I was really inspired by Dr. Noel's teaching practices involving identity. Uh, like we talked about, she consistently works to create spaces where her students, who are usually non-designers, can bring their whole identity into the work they are doing. And I think this is so great and obviously should be practiced by other teachers and coaches in design and those that are also in other fields. Inclusivity and identity kind of go hand in hand and it usually starts with the spaces we are learning in. So I'm really inspired by the way Dr. Noel cultivates her classrooms. Um, but what do you think, listener? Please feel free to check out our website and let us know what you thought about this episode in the comments. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this interview from our Hello from the Pluriverse series. A special thank you to Arturo Escobar, the author of Designs for the Pluriverse, for opening the space for conversations about pluriversality in design. Many thanks as well to all of our interviewees, our Design Thinking student team, Ruby, Lupe, Delaney, Tran, and Wissal, the students of the Fall 2019 SICE 3010 class, Levante Lucas, our editor, and the rest of the team at the Taylor Center at Tulane. If you have any suggestions for our program, please email your comments, suggestions, and questions to taylor at tulane.edu. And also you can visit our website at taylor.tulane.edu.